0: Theodosia writes me a letter every day, day,
1: day. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about this, I don't know, podcast, audio? I, I don't know what it is. I'm very excited about it because I love experimenting, and I think this is going to be a really cool one. Um, I'm recording what you're hearing right now, the weekend after I recorded the initial interview with Caitlin. And uh, I I got John, the audio engineer, back on and said, I want to record this intro because I just loved this interview. I love talking to Caitlin, getting to know her, hearing her story. And I thought, you know, this is something I really want to do with a lot more people at Talentism. Many years ago, I said that as talentism got bigger, one of the things I wanted to do was to be a better coach to the people internally. And and being a better coach really requires that I know people and I know who they are and what they care about and what they find meaningful. And while I've known Caitlin a while and, and the interview you're going to hear represents some things I already knew, it really was an, an opportunity for me to get to know her in an entirely new way. And I'm very excited to bring that to everybody, to interview everybody in the community eventually. And so please take a listen to this because I may be knocking on your door asking if I can interview you. And I think this represents what I hope it'll be about. So with no further ado, I'm very pleased to introduce you to Caitlin, and to take you on the journey of her life and her life here at Talentism. And then I've got a short message at the end, uh, so please stick around.
2: Love doesn't discriminate between the
0: sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes, and we keep loving anyway. We
2: laugh and we cry and we break and we make our mistakes. And if there's a reason, I'm by her side. So many have tried.
1: Welcome, everybody. I'm very excited about today because this is going to be the first, I hope, of many future experiments where I have asked Caitlin Cuskley to join me to talk about her. And the reason I wanted to do this is because I'm very, very excited to announce that Caitlin has kindly agreed to become our chief operating officer. And uh, that happened after a long process of going through experiments and learning about each other and learning about what that role could become and what talentism needs. And I just thought it was fantastic. It was a fantastic experience. It was fantastic to work with Caitlin through that. It's thrilling to find a chief operating officer. I have to be honest, I never thought that would be possible. Uh, and so I thought, you know, people should get to know Caitlin um, and I would like to get to know more about Caitlin. And and so why not record that and share that with everybody? So uh, with that, welcome Caitlin.
0: Hi, Jeff. And hi, everybody. I am uh, excited to experiment with this.
1: Oh, cool. Thank you. Okay. So um, we were just talking before we got started recording. I would love to get to know a little bit of your background. Tell, yeah. me, tell me the Caitlin story. Where does it start? <laughs>
0: um, so I originally grew up in northern New Jersey. So right outside of New York City. Um, so New York City will always be the city to me. About 45 minutes outside of the city um, in a little place called Roxbury, New Jersey. I grew up with my parents and my sister, who's uh, five years older than I am. And I'd say the, the biggest thing about my upbringing is like music and the arts were just a huge thing for me, huge like thread throughout all of my schooling. I think third grade, I was the velveteen rabbit in, uh, in, in our school play um, that probably kicked things off. So you know, I was really fortunate to grow up um, in a schooling system where the arts were really big. We had a great marching band in high school. But, you know, like the really defining piece of my upbringing is just all of the musicals, all of the choirs, all of the um, plays that I was in, all of those things, and was like a big deal to me. I'm actually friends with, um, uh, in sixth grade, I met a group of friends. And part of our, uh, one of our, I think it was history class projects was to write a musical about the decades. So from 1900 uh, to 2000s. <laughs> um, and, uh, that's a group of friends that I'm still friends with. Um, and so we, we wrote a musical in sixth grade. Um, so I think Two things that came out of that was, um, you know, my love of the arts and performing, um, and also my love of running things. <laughs> um, so I got a lot of joy out of creating something like that with a group of friends and and sort of like running the show, so to speak.
1: If I could just, if I could just interject for just a second, yeah, I'm so. Um, I remember you telling me early on that you love to sing. I remember mm-hmm. you telling me that, and I was so thrilled about that. And, I, and it, I'm so fascinated to learn about people's backgrounds. One of the things I I think is, you know, we have more of these recordings, get to know more people at Talentism. It, I'm just surprised at how many people have a background in the arts
2: yeah. and have
1: a background in music and performance. There seems to be something that gravitates. People have that here, yeah any thoughts about like how that sort of love and interest prepares you for where you are now or leads you to where you are now
0: yeah i've i actually um uh, like Jeff you and I have talked about this a ton like I care about this idea of excellence um i I don't know what it is like i don't um that can take many forms, but I think that really came from my love of the arts because um especially the the programs that I was in and again I was very fortunate to be in some pretty good programs where you know so much of our practice time was just about creating excellence excellence together as a group and just practicing going over the same piece of music over and over and over again um and I think that did two things it, it really helped me appreciate and love just this like honing of the craft um And also this, um, though I don't always uh, do this well, is um, being okay with mistakes. Um, like really seeing that there is like, you practicing over and over and sort of thinking about, okay, what didn't go well with that performance and going back and practicing it again, uh, really, really, I think, helped me see... Um, you know the benefit in sort of being more open-minded about mistakes and experimentation and learning, um, because that's the whole—you know—you you do a, a dress rehearsal and then you have a discussion about how you can improve that performance afterwards, um, and so that that really helped me. I think um, operate in a place like talentism.
1: There, that makes so much sense to me, and I think there's this other thing. If I maybe this yeah. is true or maybe it isn't, but. Um, so I was talking to Wendy, my wife, um, the other day about, uh, the lead on a funny lady, a funny Mm -hmm. girl was replaced on Broadway and she'd made all these claims about how her replacement wasn't going to work. And then the replacement came in and ticket sales went way up and it sort Mm -hmm. of had me reflecting on the nature of performing in front of an audience and the immediacy of the audience's response in how mm-hmm. much of a high wire act that is compared to most elements of our life where you sort of perform and then people don't give you feedback. They don't really mm-hmm. let you know what they think.
2: Yeah. And an
1: audience is incentivized to like, give you immediate emotional response. Like that was great or crickets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I find is people who have a background in, um, performance or in sports have this like there's this immediate feedback loop there's this you know you did well or you didn't and that having to become comfortable with that and almost have that be driving like that's that's good like i want when i kill it it just is. it feels so great and when i don't um man it feels miserable but like i want to figure out why
0: yep yeah that definitely there's definitely a bit of that chasing that um you know, those moments when you like really hit it. Um, like there's some that are very visceral in my mind. Um, and then, yeah, that feeling like, you know what that feels like to hit it. And so you're constantly the ones that don't feel like that, the performances that don't, um, you're like, okay, what what didn't go well about that? Um, and, you know, it's actually interesting when I think about like myself as a performer is like, I, I don't actually... Um, at like in middle school, I was the lead in the play, um, in The Music Man. But um, I actually really enjoy being in a group setting and not being the lead. Um, so once I graduated um, high school, went on to college and was in a cappella, And that was really like my sweet spot of performance. It's like incredibly dorky but really, really thinking about how all of the pieces of the, like everyone's voice comes together as a different piece of the music. Um, and so it's, it's actually kind of interesting when I think about the COO role is like, I really enjoy being that like backup singer, um, uh, because I see how important that is, how it all comes together with the different elements of one performance. Um, and so there's probably something in there of, of just like what i enjoy about being a performer
1: that is so cool so where where did you go to college
0: um university of connecticut
1: university and why why there? like what was that decision process
0: yeah i'll be honest i I definitely had the like okay i'm gonna apply to all the ivy league schools i'm going to apply to all the schools that like in retrospect um you know wow i'm i'm glad i didn't have to pay for all of that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, um, you know, I, I really liked the idea. I went to a really big high school. And so for me, um, I applied to a couple different places and I got into, um, William and Mary and UConn and Rutgers and a couple other schools. But I was having this decision between, do I want to go to a small liberal arts school? Or do I want to go to the really big sort of lots of different programs, big research university, public university? Um, And I sort of started to get claustrophobic at the thought of going to the small liberal arts school. And so I kind of, to be honest, fell into UConn being like one of those big choices of like, okay, well, I don't exactly know what I want to do. At least this will give me a lot of options. And at least this is not Rutgers where, you know, half of my high school was going. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't the most strategic decision, but, um, really when I think about that, it like, it did give me some of the best options possible. I remember, um, my freshman year being pretty disillusioned with the idea that like, oh, this is not the like, um, Gilmore girls style, like cute little liberal arts school. I was having that like dissonance of like, well, maybe I should have gone there. Um, and decided to do something different every day. So like walk to class a different way, Um, or, you know, like sign up for a different uh, program, different club. Um, So for a while I was in the gospel choir. Um, I rushed a sorority. I had sushi for the first time. Um, A lot of different things. Like when I was, sort of unhappy there um and found my way to two things acapella and um volunteering with this program called guard dogs which was like a safe ride program when we didn't have um ubers or or lifts yet um and those two really became sort of the lifeblood for me throughout throughout college so i definitely advise anybody if you feel stuck just to be like what's the one thing different i'm gonna do today um it was hugely helpful
1: that's amazingly cool. Okay, so you graduate from college, mm-hmm. and then
0: um, I thought um, I so undergrad I was really into um, how people think and learn. I was just like, <laughs> if I, I really didn't have a, a, a crisp idea of what I wanted to do, um, but did um, psychology psychology research as my undergrad and did a couple studies on how people learn music with movement. Um, And so I sort of thought that this this concept of how people learn would be really interesting to me. And um, I am an achiever at heart. And so I thought, okay, what's the most um, challenging and prestigious thing I can do with that? Um, And I uh, applied to do Teach for America. So I got into Teach for America Um, And very, very quickly learned that as an introvert who enjoys understanding how people think and learn, there's a huge difference between actually being the person in front of a classroom teaching students. Um, Duh. I mean, that seems very obvious, but um, I very, very quickly learned, like, I enjoyed some of the small group settings with some of the middle school kids that I was teaching. I started off doing middle school, Teach for America does like a bit of a training program where you do a couple months in one classroom. And so I really loved doing um, middle school English. It felt like a fun little small group of kids that I could work with, really seeing them, you know, like work their way through the different reading exercises. And they were working on, it was, it was summer school they were working on sort of increasing their grade level because they were one grade level behind And then when I actually landed the job, it was teaching fifth through ninth music. So I learned very, very quickly that like enjoying being a performer is very different than teaching middle schoolers music. Yeah. But I think, you know, I really learned like I enjoyed lesson planning. It was it that structure, the like thinking about how the lessons were going to connect for these kids was really, really fun. One of my favorite lessons. I, at a certain point, I sort of was like, this is not for me, but I'm having fun with some of these classes. And so I kind of threw out the like music textbook that I was given, um, and just started creating my own lessons. So I taught a couple classes on, um, protest music. So how we um, how to think about using music as a form of protest, um, and so I had the kids write their own protest songs about something they wanted to change in their school. And this is like middle school in Kansas City, Missouri. It was it was pretty rough, um, but these kids like took it very seriously. I had them write a song, draw a protest sign, like have to perform it in front of the class. And so, even though teaching is not for me, there was. Like I I saw a lot of ways to, um, like enjoy myself in that and, you know, ideally give the kids some, some helpful lessons, but yeah, that was, that was pretty short lived. I, um, it, it also, I had to confront quitting a job and being honest with people about like, okay, this is not, this is not right for me. Like I am, you know, frankly was super, super stressed. And, you know, that was really hard for me. I I don't love being wrong about things. That felt really hard. And so I even decided to go back. I moved back to Connecticut and took another job teaching for a year, smaller setting, teaching special needs students sort of life skills uh, as they graduate college and as they think about being independent in the world, because I was like not ready to quit teaching. If I look back and tell myself, I was like, you knew enough about yourself to say like quitting was probably the right thing to do. But, um, I did that, that extra year and, um, really solidified the, the idea that teaching was not for me, but that, um, coming back to Connecticut then led me to, um, really day to day. I was, I was living with a woman, um, named Brittany Ryden, who, um, you might know, (laughs) um, and, you know, I would sort of come back from work every day and she would as well. And we would just talk about sort of things that didn't make sense to us about work and life. And one of the things I really found difficult about um, being a teacher was this idea that I felt like I had to pretend to be an expert. And um, I just didn't like the idea of having to stand in front of this group of kids and like, just pretend like I knew the answers and then it felt strange when like to be like, no, I don't know the answer. Like, let's talk about it. Um, and I found that way with the other co-teachers that I had. So like that, you know, there wasn't a lot of sort of like best practice sharing there, there was a lot of that in, in teach for America, but, um, you know, just being open to being wrong and being open to sort of like how we can evolve as teachers um, and that got me talking to my roommate about a place called Bridgewater, where it was a lot about like, you know, the uh, the idea meritocracy and actually wrestling with ideas. Um, and so that seemed like a really fun experiment along the lines of also thinking, you know, I still really cared about understanding how people think and how they learn, and so this seemed like a way to uh, do that in a business context. To be like, okay, how do people Think, solve problems. Um, what does management look like at a company? Um, and so, it really seemed to me like a, a kind of fun experiment to explore, which is where we cross paths a little bit.
1: A little bit, okay. yeah. So, um, I, I think I'm probably going to ask this question of everybody who used to work at Bridgewater <laughs> uh, <laughs> how How do you hold the difference between our culture and Bridgewater?
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, it's huge. Um I would say I I was pretty successful at Bridgewater and I think a lot of it was um because I was pretty good at protecting myself. Um I really really enjoyed sort of the like okay, let's um have this thoughtful exchange of ideas and problem solving like that is really like to me the intellectual in me loved that. Um, and the idea of this, like intellectual superiority, um, and, but really at the end of the day, like I was just very good at diagnosing myself and, uh, using that as a protection from actually looking at like, where can I be better and what can I learn and how can I connect with other people and work with this team to, Um, create something, an experiment. And I think that's hugely different to talentism where um, the only way that I feel like I have been able to experiment at talentism is feeling that safety of like, it's okay to actually, you know, like talk with you and with others on the team about what I'm like and what I struggle with and what I like to do and really be vulnerable in that way. um, and not use it as a way of protecting myself to look good. Um, and so, yeah, there's been, I mean, in a lot of our discussions, this idea of treating things like an experiment has really unlocked this freedom for me to be more okay with making mistakes and things being messy. um, because it's all part of learning about what I'm like and what I'm like in this context um, and ultimately like doing really cool things, um, which I think we have done together so far. Um, so I, I really think it's that, that sort of like safety to, to actually be vulnerable and make mistakes and
2: experiment.
1: Wonderful, thank you. Yeah. I'm not going to opine myself on that till I've talked to everybody else. Um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I'm biased. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, so you came to Talentism originally as a contractor working yes. with Jake. And after yes. a period of time, you said, hey, listen, I'm going to go do something else. Because yeah. I had talked to you about joining full-time, and you said, I don't think this is right for me. I'm going to go do something else. And then I think largely through the magic of Angie, you ended up back in our orbit, <laughs> and here we are today. Can you help me understand that journey and like why? Yeah. What what was happening where you're like? I don't think this is the right place for me, right?
0: Yeah, there's two things that come to mind. One was, um, and I think about this a lot when I think about some people who may be on a similar journey of like um, being in the some community and then maybe exploring a work possibility. Is I think as a contractor working part time and having sort of half of my day. Being um, "quote unquote" a traditional job, <laughs> like um, kind of high stress, really intense, not at all like focused on what I was compulsive about or what you know, like experimenting and learning. And then switching sort of the, the second half of my day to these conversations with you and with Jake and with our clients and all this stuff that felt I just had this anxiety about wanting to do and wanting to achieve and it just felt so strange and sometimes i would get frustrated about like the you know jeff like why are we nasal gazing (laughs) gazing and just not actually connecting that to why like only seeing a taste of that and not actually seeing how that was so important the ability to actually talk about what we're like what we're learning and experimenting was allowing people to actually do the work better and to explore different ways of achieving excellence, of achieving their goals. I didn't see that from afar. And so I think about that a lot of like, how do we help people see that who are part-time or who are like, you know, one foot in exploring? Um, And I frankly don't know, but for me, it was really feeling like my inner achiever was feeling like, okay, I just want to crush a whole bunch of stuff. And this is not going to give me that. Um, And I think you, you perceived that. And I think when, when we were talking about sort of me going on to another startup and trying something different, you know, you were very kindly, you were like, maybe, you know, you just want to do that and that's okay. Um, And I think I was, I was pretty like, you don't know me, Jeff. Like, I care about my development. You just don't know me. And and in retrospect, I think like, no, at the time I was like, I did really just want to crush stuff and get the gold star because it's, it's pretty hard to do some of the stuff that we do and hard to have some of the conversations that we do. And I, yeah, I don't think that I like wanted to do it at at that point. And then I think seeing, um, being in the position to see a different startup, where it felt like that was just, that was it. That was, it was just a bunch of crushing and it was um, very draining and sort of realizing like, okay, this might be the path to get me maybe the position with the title that I wanted and what might look good on my resume, but it's like, this is not actually fulfilling to me. And so, you know, Angie does have that great Spidey sense where she, was, you know, sent me a text message one day. She was just like, how are you doing? Which which is all it takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, I, I, I think I needed that um, seeing seeing a little taste of talentism and then being like, okay, I, I need this other thing. And then being like, whoa, I just don't think I understood at that point what I think the value of the approach that we take here. Does that make sense? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And um, so now let's let's continue along that path. Um, yeah. So I, some period of time ago, I said, "Hey, Caitlin, I want to I want to experiment with you around yeah. being COO." And I remember because the way we do this is we have these very open conversations because you can say, "Nope, don't want it," yeah. and that's great, right? <laughs> And at first you're like, eh, don't think I want it, but I want to reflect on it. I said, great, reflect on it. And then you agreed to, I think it was the capacity management experiment was the yeah. first sort of experiment we ran. Um, and the, what I've experienced is at the beginning, you were like, look, I'm really doubtful and I'm really skeptical and doubtful of self, skeptical of this opportunity I don't want to be an operator. I don't want to do this. It's not what I find meaningful. What I find meaningful is these wonderful experiences people can have, Mm -hmm. but this is a place I find safe. I trust you. But yeah, let's try it. Let's just give it a shot. And what I've seen actually is you've gone through that and this could just be correlation, not causation. But what I've seen is you've gone through that is, I've, I think I've seen you actually enjoy work more and I've seen you be more excited and, and I've seen you like go through these aha learning experiences, et cetera. So at least from afar, the way it seemed to me is you didn't let that doubt and skepticism stand in the way you openly engaged in the experiment. You've discovered a lot of cool stuff along the way as a result of that openness. Is that right? Are you experiencing that or am I just making that uh.
0: up? No. Oh yeah. Um, definitely. Like I find that, um, even if I like step back and say, Whoa, okay, this is a lot more sort of objectively more work than, than I, you know, it's a little scary from that perspective. I am way more excited. Um, I feel way more at ease and more in flow from a day-to-day perspective. And, you know, I really didn't expect that. And obviously it's early days, but. You know, I think a couple of things helped me go through that fear was actually just like being open and talking about it with you, um, and exploring what that fear was and which parts were self-doubt and which ones were actual, like considerations that are are real and like things to explore. I also think some of the things that I, I'm thinking back to one of our conversations kind of early on, where you, had raised to me something about like, oh, it's surprising to you that I don't um, talk about the customer role in this way, or I don't, I don't approach the customer role in, in a certain way. And there was no judgment from you. It was more curiosity of like, hey, Caitlin, I see you solving a lot of the problems in customer from a very operational standpoint. And that really helped me see like, oh yeah, I care about like, I find meaning in bringing excellent experiences to our clients. Like that idea of developing, maybe it's a performance, right? Like this excellent performance or this excellent experience. I love that as a goal, but the way that I solve problems is is very operational. And so that has helped me sort of just be more curious about where my own Compulsions and where my energy comes from um, versus fearful that like this is not the right way to solve the problem or like as head of customer, I have to do things by like X, y, and z um, and so that I think that has taken a lot of stress out of like let's just experiment and see what we can learn um, and I also think a lot of your framing about designing the role for the person. Um, really helps me because, you know, my past operational roles have felt pretty draining because they felt divorced from the goal of that excellent experience. It has felt just like a an avalanche of minutiae to manage versus being like, how do we actually connect all of this to our goals as a company, our goals of creating that excellent experience for customers? And also, like I'm really enjoying the the goal right now of thinking about how do we um, think about internally, like team of people working together as the sort of cross functional leaders, and how we work together. And so there's there's just been this connection between my compulsions and the meaning that I feel from the work that has so far been uh, really exciting.
1: Uh, that's wonderful. I- this idea of design for people, I think, can often confuse people um, because it's it's definitely not this thing that sometimes people interpret, which is, "Hey, Caitlin, you know, likes to perform, so we should become a theater company." Uh, <laughs> but it's this thing of really like holding two things at once: holding what talentism is and what we're trying to do, what our purpose is, what our culture is, but also being incredibly just paying attention to what people how people produce results Mm -hmm. what they love where they seem to get energy where they seem to sort of get down how they make sense of things and the thing you brought up was i was noticing you as a head of customer you never talked about customers you always Mm -hmm. talked about how to solve customer problems and while that distinction may sound pretty trivial i thought it was (laughs) profound because I can imagine a head of customer spending, doing nothing but talking to me about, I was talking to this customer and they're having this problem. I was talking Mm -hmm. to this customer and they're having, and our conversations were all, this is the system. This is the machine. We had this problem. I think it's because of this system. And I kept hearing this operational diagnostic lens in how you were making sense of the world and how you were you know thinking about solving what goals you had and how you were solving for that and and i'm just i'm I'm taking a moment to sort of you know flesh this out because i can imagine people listening to it and thinking what is this design for people thing and i i think often it's proven through the examples we can give Mm -hmm. i think this is a perfect example because even as you and i are going through and designing the role and we're still in that process we're clear that you'll be a great, you know, the the potential exists for you to be a great COO. You want to invest in that. I want to invest in that. We want to see where this takes us. And, you know, you produced this great document for me a couple of weeks ago. It was like, here's what I think the role is. And I was like, I'd like to slow roll this conversation. I'd, I'd like to take some time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see how this evolves because I never, ever want us to be caught in a you know, this is what a COO is. A COO is this, and it covers this, and it does this. Like, that's just all made up. That's illusion. Like, it can be whatever we want it to be, but what it definitely should be is an opportunity for you to bring your unique form of excellence to talentism so we can actually achieve our purpose. And so that's been, when I'm working with anybody, that's sort of my obsession, and it's just been wonderful to see how well you've engaged in that and to see how you know, well that's working um, so far. Okay, well, this has yeah. already taken a lot longer than <laughs> I thought it was going to, but I have one, I have one more question. Yes. When you think about right now your dreams, like your visualization, your imagination of what talentism could be and how you think you and the responsibilities of COO can help shape that, what, what comes to mind?
0: Wow. <laughs> Um, Just a softball question.
1: Um,
0: I, uh, so one of the things that stands out the most to me is um, when I first joined, we had that idea of eating our own cooking. And this, this idea of, um, I, I just remember like sitting on my bed, being sent a redesign deck from you you know, a couple months before I actually joined full-time and seeing that idea of like, okay, we want to be a place where we eat our own cooking, quote-unquote. We use our products to actually manage and we use that as a way to to test, you know, are our products good? Or is our, does our IP make sense? And um, it didn't totally make sense to me at the time. The thing that I'm really excited about visualizing now and the role that I think I can play um, or I hope I can play is like it makes a ton of sense to me now how our culture the operations we have like the the structures we have the designs we have um can really be a way of eating our own cooking um at this at the really practical perspective of doing things like Um, you know, using some of our surveys to learn about where there's confusion and clarity across the company. It's like, now I see that as like, I want to get my hands on that. I want to understand what's going on in the organization. How can we improve? How can we learn? Um, And that's just sort of like, I'm really excited about being able to play a role in that Um, to say like, I see what we do with our clients and some of the great things that we're doing with them and, and how we're deploying our products and services with them. And it's just really, really cool to be in a position to say, let's try to do that here too. I mean, we do it through our culture and we do it through, through a lot of ways that you've, you've sort of implemented and instantiated. Um, and I'm really excited about sort of playing that role of bringing that, you know, broader into the team setting up systems and processes consistent with how I think to really help us learn by eating our own cooking.
1: Awesome. Okay. I lied. I have one <laughs> final question. I <laughs> yes. just determined the, the final question I want to end every one of these with. Yeah. How can we help you?
0: <gasps> how can you help me? Um, oh, this will be interesting. I um, had a really great um, meeting with the cross-functional leaders yesterday. And um, it's really gotten me thinking about how I can use others to make sure that my self-skepticism is not turning into self-doubt. You know, I think that with taking on a challenge like this, um, with experimenting in this way, and just with what I'm like, I'm very bound to blur that line between self-skepticism and self-doubt. And so I think that having others who can help see me clearly from the outside and help me uh, recognize when I'm blurring those two things is going to be hugely helpful for me um, and us treating this as an experiment where we can learn. Um, So I would appreciate that from everybody.
1: Fantastic. And just as a tip, when people are expressing skepticism, they say things like, I'm curious and I wonder. And when they are expressing doubt, they're saying, I can't and I don't and I, and I, and I worry. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. Well, this awesome. has been great. How, how did this feel for you? Is this okay?
0: Yeah, good. Way less scary than I thought it would be. <laughs> so thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> I,
1: I wanted that captured on tape so everyone heard that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for agreeing to be the, the first subject of this experiment. I thought you were wonderful. This was a great conversation. Well, I'm thank you. so excited to be working with you in the future as, uh, as COO.
0: Same. This was very fun. Thank you for setting it up.
1: So there you have it. There was my first interview with a Talentism community member. Thank you, Caitlin, for being the first willing volunteer. You heard at the beginning of this podcast some intro music, Wait For It, from the musical Hamilton. That came about because I asked Caitlin, after we concluded recording our podcast, what her favorite musical theater song was. I was just generally curious. She sent a couple of songs that were deeply meaningful to her, and this really connected with me. Because, as you heard in the interview, music is something that Caitlin loves, and I'm constantly fascinated and grateful for the number of people who come to talentism and really have a sense of the artists and their background. They have done things in their background or in their past that have to do with the arts. And as many of you may or may not know, um, the arts is something that's very important to me. I have multiple children who are musicians. My wife is a musician. Uh, Trevor is a musician, if you didn't know that. Um, so the arts has always been something that's been very important to me. And so I'd like to offer as the final piece of this podcast, a full recording of Caitlin's acapella group from college singing walk humbly son. She said, here's my group from college, a real throwback, but one of my favorite arrangements. I think you all enjoy it. I loved it. Uh, and with that, we'll leave with Caitlin and her a cappella group singing Walk Humbly Sun.